0: Well, it's my privilege this evening to share with you from God's Word, and I hope that you'll join with me in a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts to hear what he might have to say with us about his son's birth. Let's pray. Father, give us grace to know your mind, and may we hear from you today as from the very Word of God. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I look back on my childhood, and I think about the best memories from Christmas and Christmas Eve, there's one that always comes to mind as the most meaningful. And it was always on Christmas Eve. You see, my family, we, I I don't remember any Christmas where we didn't. We always spent Christmas Eve at our house. And sometime on the afternoon of Christmas Eve, Christmas would really get started with the arrival of my grandmother on my dad's side, whose name was Martha. She was proudly from Yankton, South Dakota. She was about five feet tall and about five feet wide. <laughs> she had very round features, round glasses, and she would always bang on the door holding more boxes than she could carry, and she would have presents stuffed into the boxes for the grandkids and a huge smile on her face. My grandma was from very humble means. She lived on very little. She would show up with these boxes overflowing with presents. She would save up uh, the newspapers for several weeks and she would wrap all of her presents with the comic strips from the newspaper, and that's how she'd wrap her presents. And she had these stockings that were stuffed full of nuts and oranges and her famous popcorn balls that were delicious. And they were so sticky. They, it was one of those things you would eat. Now, they never did break a tooth out of my head, but it felt like they probably should have. They're delicious. I would take my grandma's presents and shake them. And she would say, now, Gregory, don't get too excited. You know, she's from Yankton, South Dakota. She'd say, there's nothing but fertilizer in there, so don't get your hopes up. Well, I knew better. My parents would say, no, Grandma, you shouldn't. Have you spent too much? And she would wave it off. If I could relive any of those days, it would be seeing the front door open and the big, smiling face of Grandma Baker with presents she couldn't afford just because she loved her grandchildren. Well, if you had asked me then what the most meaningful thing was, I don't think I would have come up with that. That's with the hindsight of almost 40 years now. When we come to the passage that we're going to read tonight, we're reading a man who's commenting on the Christmas story with the benefit of hindsight. Now, when you read Matthew's gospel or Luke's gospel, and we've been reading through them tonight, what you discover is the facts of the birth of our Savior. He was born in the city of Bethlehem, he was born in a manger. The shepherds came and worshiped. The wise men came from afar, following the star. We read all these facts. Well, then we come to John chapter 1, and we read a man who's writing almost 90 years after the event took place. And he's telling us as you think about the birth of Jesus Christ, here, are some of the most important things, the most meaningful things I want you to remember. And he had all the benefit of hindsight. He was an old man writing on what was in his time, an old event. Well, I have the passage on the screen for you. You can follow along with me. We're going to read John 1, verses 9 through 14. And it says this, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is John, you can see but of God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth now just reading through this passage you might already begin to see what john is doing is he's saying you know i know that you have the stories of matthew and luke i know that you know How Jesus was born. What I want to do is tell you what really happened. What really was taking place. Not that Mark and Luke don't, but John is trying to give us a theological meaning of what happened. And I have three points of answering that question that John's going to give us. And we're going to go through these fairly quickly. What really happened that first Christmas? Well, first of all, we read here in John 1 that God became a man. John makes this very clear. He says right here that the true light, you can see right there in the first words that we read, the true light, which gives light to everyone. This was John's way of saying this person is God. We have Old Testament verses to show you that that's what he meant. In Isaiah 9-2, it says we've seen a great light, and that great light is God with us. In Isaiah chapter 60-19, verse 19, it says the Lord the Timeless One, Yahweh, the I Am, He shall be your everlasting light. So right away, those who knew their Old Testament would see the light has come into the world. That means God has come into the world. We read right here in our passage that the world was made through Him. Now, you can go to a lot of places in the Bible to find out who made the world. In fact, the very first verses of the Bible will tell you that in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth or you could go to passages like isaiah 6019 that said i'm sorry isaiah 40 verse 28 that the lord the everlasting god is the creator of the ends of the earth so here john is saying this person this light who came into the world the creator of the world is god in fact you can go all the way back to the first verse of the chapter that we read tonight and it says in the beginning was the word and the word was God the word the word uh, was with God and the word was God And right here we're told that the word became flesh So right here John is saying in absolutely unanimous unmistakable Words, connecting it with Old Testament and coming right out and saying it. Jesus is God. God became one of us. You see, we tend to think of God this way. We tend to think that God is up above us, and he is. But the way to get to God is to ascend some sort of ladder whether it be with righteousness or with a life well lived. And we have to climb ourselves up, out of the pit we've dug ourselves into, sin, to God. The trouble with that is that it's an eternal divide. God is so high above us we would never get there. What had to happen was that God came down that ladder, as it were, And not only got into our lives, but actually became us so that he could save us. And that brings us to our second answer to the question, what really happened? And I want you to notice that what John is telling us really happened is that a pattern of rejection was set. Let's revisit the words we read. It says that the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So right away, even in the birth story of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see that there was this rejection of him. God didn't do any of these things under a rock. Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist, and her husband was the high priest that year, a household name, the highest-ranking religious member of Israel's uh, elite. And here his wife, barren after so many years, was suddenly pregnant, and she's saying, there's a virgin who's conceived, and in fact Mary went and lived with Elizabeth in full light of everybody. And so here's this woman who's claiming, to be, who's claiming that, as a virgin, she conceived. And she is of the house and lineage of David, and she's betrothed to a man who's of the house and lineage of David. Here's a king in her womb. And guess how many people, guess how many of those religious elite who knew that the Christ child would be born in Bethlehem, how many of them went out to see the birth of their king? that will be zero. None of them. None of the self-respected. None of the elite. None of the learned. God had to appear. God had to send his angels, rather, to appear to a group of shepherds to make sure his son was worshipped the way he should be. All the signs were there. God brought wise people from afar. And what happened? Herod, the king, the false king of the land, got wind of it and tried to destroy this Jesus. You see, right here in the birth stories, we see that there is a rejection of Jesus from all the people he came to save. And that's still happening today. People try to get something from Jesus. They try to use Jesus. People are always saying, kind of like the rich young ruler, that they want to follow Jesus. But, you know, it never really happens. And then there are those who outright reject Jesus. They don't want him in their lives. Whether it's passive, or whether it's active, whether it's let's wait and see, or wait till I have more information, we're still committing the same rejection today that was taking place back then. But that's not the end of the story, I want you to know. John doesn't want to leave us there. He's not saying the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we didn't recognize him. John does say that, but he has a big but here. Just but. But. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children. Of God. And here's the most glorious news you can possibly imagine. What really happened the day that Christ appeared onto the scene? What really happened the day that God became a man and the day that this pattern of rejection was illustrated? What really happened is that God opened a path for us to join his family. He says it right here, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God wants you to join his family as He makes you born again through the spirit, and he does so when you believe we're told right here that now this was this was so you know, as the first century Jewish people read this passage, this would have been hard a hard pill for them to swallow. You see, they were children of Abraham, and they believed that simply by being Jewish by birth, that they were, of course, children of God. And God is telling them right here that despite your heritage, despite your genealogy, despite your connection to Abraham, nobody is born automatically a child of God. It says it right here. That God gives the right to become children of God. That we're not children of God by blood or by the will of God. By the will of man, rather. By the will of flesh. So how is it that you can join God's family? How is it that you can become a part of this glorious kingdom? Well, we read right here in chapter 1, verse 12, that we join God's family when we believe in his name. When we believe in his name, it says it right here. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right or the authority even to become children of God. Herein lies the most important question for you tonight. What does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe? He said, I, well, I believe that there Jesus lived. I believe that Jesus died. Well of course you do. you probably wouldn't be here tonight if you didn't at least believe that. This would be a waste of time. No God means something actually more than that. He means something more than just I believe that he existed. The word belief in the New Testament is, a little stronger than we might ordinarily use the word believe. Let's pretend for a moment that my life depended on an errand being run. Okay, There was a, a medical need and there was a certain medicine that would save my life if it got from one side of Salt Lake City to the other side of Salt Lake City and it had to be there within an hour and if it doesn't get there in an hour, I'm a goner. Everybody, if you're in that situation, I got a question for you. Who do you call first? Will you please make this delivery for me? Would I call my wife first? It depends on the day, okay? (laughs) It depends on if I pick my socks up off the floor or not, okay? I'm teasing. She, of course, would be my first call. I trust her. I would trust my life to her. That's what the word believe means. Those who entrust themselves to Christ to save them and to make them children of God. To those people, God says, you're mine does this happen? Well, we read in the very last verse, that we can become children of God because Jesus showers His grace and teaches His truth. Right here, we're told in John 1:14 that we beheld the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory as of the only Son from the Father, full, full, chalk to the brim of grace. And truth. You see, Jesus is coming to you with some life changing truth about himself. And it will not do to have this sort of postmodern mindset that whatever you believe in whatever they believe that's as long as it all as long as you're a good person it'll all work out that's not what god says jesus comes to you with truth and the truth is so gracious and so merciful and so loving god became a man and he died on a cross 33 years later to pay for your sins. And everybody who entrusts themselves to this Savior who cares so much about them that he came into their lives to save them, those who entrust themselves to him, not only have everlasting life, but are children of the living God. You guys remember what I told you right at the very start about my Grandmother, the most meaningful memory was seeing her at the door, holding the packages, and she always had a huge smile on her face. That's the picture of Jesus that I want you to leave with tonight. He was so willing and happy and eager to save you from your sins, and he comes with grace and truth for you. Let's pray. Father, help us now to accept this wonderful grace and this wonderful truth that Jesus became, Jesus, who was God in the flesh, took our burden for us and died on a cross to save us from our sins. And I pray that we would entrust ourselves to such a Savior this evening. Thank you for everybody who's here. Thank you for their willingness to come, and I pray, O oh God, that you would have blessed them and that you will continue to bless this service in their hearts. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.